We are in week three of our Get Wrecked series, and I'm still not even sure why I understand what that means. Get Wrecked, so I know it's kind of like this term, so I'm just gonna put my own spin on that. But over these past um, few weeks, we have been using various scriptures in the book of um, James to guide us as we talk about what it looks like to persevere under trials. And before we kind of launch into that, let's pray, hey? And I know I, I'm just gonna jump on what um, Josiah prayed about before. Father, tonight, I just thank you so much for your presence. And I just feel like you have a word for someone in here tonight, and I pray that it would just um, go deep. And I thank you, God, um, that you do give a word, that you do speak, that you are Lord. There's so many things, and God, I just pray tonight that whoever this word is for, that it would be life-changing, and that tonight for everybody under the sound of my voice, that they would learn something new about you that they've never known before, and that truly some things would be settled tonight. And so God, as always, have your way, have your way, have your way. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So the Bible talks a lot about trials, but uses lots of different synonyms to describe it, like troubles, testing, hardship, adversity, sorrow, affliction, suffering, and pain. But tonight, I just want to throw out a new one in there and say storms. Now, Craig, last week in week one, talked about the variety of trials that one can have, like relational trials, financial trials, sickness trials, um, loss, slander, sickness. And last week, Andrew talked about, Andrew Gould talked about having some macrothemia, does anybody remember that word? Macrothemia, some patience, not getting angry and not losing control when under pressure. Like when someone cuts you, cuts you off when you're driving. Or um, when you're venting with your texts, like vexting. I just made that up, vexting. Or mean tweets, wanting, I mean, venting with your posting on social media. And man, hasn't that taken off? Aren't we brave about what we say when we are in the safety behind a computer screen? Mean tweets have just gone viral, it's amazing. Now the other Greek word that, I mean, that um, Andrew talked about was hupomene. Hupomene, this patience of remaining under, bearing up under a trial. Now here's a sobering thought, reality for all of us. And you, we, I, are in one of three places in the cycle of trials. You're either about to enter into a season of trials, you're either deep in a season of trials, or you've just come out of a season of trials. And that is true of all of us. You're about to enter in one, are in one, or just coming out of one. And over these last couple of weeks, as we have focused in on suffering um, and tri slash trials, there is one part of those opening verses in James 1 that is really speaking and resounding with me, and it's this. And I'm just going to back it up to verse 2 for context. And it's this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking, not lacking anything. But if you lack something, and you know, what you usually do lack, it's wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now here's the part that is really speaking to me right now. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, 
because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And I love this, I stumbled across another version. It's called, and I love the translation, it's called the voice version. Not the TV show, The Voice, but the voice Bible version. And it's so cool how it puts it, and check this out. It says here, the key is that your request be anchored by your single-minded commitment to God. Those who depend only on their own judgment are like those lost on the seas, carried away by any wave or picked up by any wind. Those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume the Lord will rescue them or bring them anything. The splinter of divided loyalty shatters your compass and leaves you dizzy and confused. Isn't that good? It's amazing. And Eugene Peterson from the message puts it this way, people who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. So adrift at sea, wind-whipped waves, carried away, sounds like storm talk to me. Yeah? Sounds like storm talk to me. Okay, so I'm gonna have this visual up while I talk for a little bit, because I really want you to enter in to some storm talk. Now, storms, you have to know, freak me out. But the freakest of all is being at sea in a storm. And anybody here ever been at sea in a boat in a storm? It's like the freakiest thing ever. Many of you know that back in the day, I was with an organization um, called Youth with a Mission. And one year we took a mission trip. We took a team on a mission trip and sailed from Florida to Honduras, the country of Honduras, on one of the YWAM ships that was then called the Good Samaritan. And I get really seasick, so I was really nervous, but I got all prepared for it. I had the seasickness patch, I took seasickness pills, and I was sweet. And those first few days of sailing on that ship were amazing. I was so stoked because I wasn't feeling sick at all. I thought, sweet, I got this, this is amazing. It was all good until the mother of all storms hit. That storm was so stinking bad. It was so violent that even the crew, experienced crew were spewing up. And you know it's bad when the crew are sick. My daughter Shannon um, went on a mission trip to the Solomon Islands when she was 15. And she tells a story about how they had to take a ferry to the island that they were staying at in rough waters. And she said she knew it was bad because the local women were wailing up on the top deck in the, on the ferry in the storm. I was so sick. I was like really sick. And the guy in the cabin next to me yelled to me between his own spews and asked me, are you okay? And in between my spews, I yelled back, I wanna die. I'm dying, I'm dying, Jesus, take me home. I'm dying. And at one point, I had made the mistake of looking out my porthole as lightning filled the night sky and getting a glimpse of how high those waves were. And man, I was terrified. Seriously, I was terrified. I remember crying out, I wanna die, I wanna die. Can't you see me here, God? I'm so sick. And man, we are going to a poor country to do your work. What the heck? What the heck? Why are you letting this happen? This sucks. Where are you? Don't you care? It was awful. It was awful. That went on for like four days. It was awful. 
And the thing is, I had, this is not my notes, I should always stick to the notes, but you have to know, I had to get up and cook breakfast for the crew and everybody, and I was just like spewing in the rubbish bin, making scones, yeah, doing that, it was awful. It was so bad. And why am I telling you that? Because sometimes, because sometimes, going through a stormy trial can shake us to the core, can make us feel wind-whipped. Stormy trials can shatter our compasses, make us feel like we have lost our way, lost our bearings and feel adrift. It can feel like God has abandoned us. Now the Bible recounts a few stories about boats caught up in storms, but as we are going to see in the Gospel of Mark chapter four, storms can still happen even with Jesus in your boat. Ooh, I gotta say that again. Storms can still happen with Jesus in your boat, and that was news to me. Now in Mark 4, Jesus is in full parable teaching mode. He has been teaching by the lakeside, but the crowds get so large that Jesus gets into a boat, uses it as a stage, and continues teaching from there. And starting in verse 36, it says here, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Let's just stop there for a moment. Let's just take note that this storm is bad, so bad that their boat is filling with water, and the water is probably filling the boat faster than they can bail it out. And the disciples would have been soaked to the bone. Now, storms are common in the Sea of Galilee because of the way it's situated, but this was a bad one because even even the disciples who are seasoned fishermen, at least there would have been four of them that knew what they were doing, are freaking out. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking in his boat, and it began to fill with water. And what's Jesus doing? Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I love the detail of this. Mark doesn't say Jesus was sleeping. No, it says that Jesus is sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. It's obviously been a long day with him preaching and ministering to the crowds, and Jesus is knackered. Sounds cute. He was knackered. Now, the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care? We are going to die, Jesus, don't you care? And isn't that the question we all want to know when we are going through our own storms? God, don't you care? Don't you care? And if we're honest, everyone who's ever lived a life of faith, sooner or later, you will feel this way sometimes. You feel like you are sinking, like everything is going wrong and all hell is breaking loose. Like the storms are raging, raging storms like a bad diagnosis that you did not see coming, or a death of a loved one, a death of a dream, some crippling anxiety, a breakup, a divorce, a betrayal of some kind, kids that are just breaking your heart, addictions that have you by the throat, ongoing depression, stress that won't let up, heck, loneliness. I could go on and on and on. And our question can be, God, don't you care? Can't you see me here? I'm drowning. And if you truly love me, if you truly cared, you would not be letting me go through this. 
Now the disciples are looking at Jesus and he's sleeping and they're interpreting that as Jesus' indifference to them in their plight, indifferent to the raging storm around them. Here's the thing, you would think the disciples would be immune to storms with Jesus in the boat. And I know I used to think that. Early on in my Christian walk, I used to think because I'd had a rough childhood, a rough upbringing, that I had filled my pain quota when I became a Christian. I'm done with pain. I'm on the Jesus train, right? That it would be smooth sailing ahead. Not so much. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And man, there was so much trouble in those early years of my walk. And I remember saying often, God, don't you care? Sometimes it can feel like heaven is freaking locked in silence. Like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and all you can hear is a storm raging inside of you. Job said it well when he said, I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness, no rest, only trouble comes. And I love how David, the writer of so many of the Psalms, is so honest with God about how he is feeling and he lays it all out. In Psalm 25, he cries out to God and says, I am lonely and afflicted here. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me of my anguish. Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. God, don't you care? Psalm 13 is one of my favorite psalms. And I'm going to invite Grace McCafferty to come up and sing that for us instead of me reading it out to you. It was in my early Christian walk, it's one of the psalms that I heard and learned first, like ever. And during the writing of this, I thought so much of it. And this song that it was an old Maranatha song that's called Heaven's Locked in Silence. And Grace has put her own spin on the songs, like rewritten it for you here tonight, has done it just for you. And I think it captures, Psalm 13 captures our lamenting, our cries of pain and anguish when it feels like heaven is locked in silence. Because sometimes in the midst of a raging storm, when you are drenched to the bone with tears, Sometimes, church, you just got to worship wet. You just got to worship wet. So I hope this ministers to you, and then I'll come back and I'll talk to you.
Nation free and bountiful has made my heart secure. I rejoice and I sing, oh Lord, song I shall enjoy even in the days. Ooh, even in the days. Thanks, Grace, for doing that. Even in the days of silence, because sometimes it can feel like heaven is silent, locked in silence when we're in the raging storm. And it says that the disciples woke Jesus up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked him, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And in the Greek, both those words mean silence. And a great translation would literally be, the wind is blowing, the storm is raging, and Jesus looks up and says, be quiet and stay quiet. What's crazy about that is that he would say that to nature and that nature would respond. He talks to nature like it's a person. The wind ceases and there's a great calm. Literally, there's a dead calm. And what's amazing about that is that even if the wind had ceased, the, we the waves would still be upset. They would still be tumultuous. But Mark is letting us, letting us know that it was a crazy storm. The disciples who were experienced fishermen thought they were going to die, yelling at Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus just shuts it down. He shuts down a hurricane. It's completely silent, dead calm, not a breath of wind. And pan the camera over to the disciples. And the disciples are sitting on still seas and nobody is saying a word. Notice Jesus doesn't have to conjure up anything. He doesn't use a wand, doesn't chant an incantation or do a weird dance. He just says, quiet, be still. That is true authority and power. Only God of the universe can do that. Then verse 40 says that he asks them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's interesting that in Matthew's gospel, in his version of the storm, in Matthew's version of the storm, Jesus says, you have little faith. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, where is your faith? And in Mark's gospel, which is really through the eyes of Peter, Jesus says, you have no faith. And perhaps it's a picture, it's a picture of where these disciples were in their faith in Jesus. One had little faith. One didn't even know where his faith was and one just had no faith. And Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? And it would be one thing if Jesus had been freaking out and wringing his hands during the storm, then by all means the disciples would be justified by their major freak out. 
When my girls were little, um, when they would fall down and hurt themselves, and parents would relate to this, they would always look to us to see me or my husband's reaction to their fall. And if Peter and I were calm, they remained calm. But if I, they saw any freak out in me, they'd be like, what? You know, if I would look concerned in any way. Or have you ever been on a plane and there is turbulence and you look at the flight crew who are still serving drinks on the cart and you kind of exhale and go, okay, yeah, everything's okay. But if you see them start to do the sign of the cross and strap on a parachute, you are going to freak out. You're going to freak out. And Jesus asks them, why are you afraid? What he's essentially asking them is, don't you know me by now? Don't you get who I am? No, they don't at all. Because look at their response. It says the disciples were absolutely terrified. And they say, who is this man? They ask each other that even the wind and the waves obey him. They thought they knew Jesus and what he was about, but they didn't know him like that. Who speaks to nature? Who speaks to nature as if it were a child? Hey, settle down. And it does it. It obeys. And if they were afraid of the storm before, the Bible says that they are now absolutely terrified and not terrified of the storm, but they're terrified of Jesus. They're terrified Perhaps that's the whole point of storms in the first place. Our storms, our trials, our sufferings, our pain, the enemy would have us be terrified and awed by them. The enemy is after our awe. We just have to hear the big C word, cancer, and we are devastated and awed by it. Or whatever that is for you that can make you afraid and devastate you in a moment, because, because the enemy knows that whatever has your awe has your faith. Being awed by our circumstances can leave us dazed and confused and doubting God, make us feel like wind-whipped waves, up one minute and down the next. Things are going good, God loves me. Something bad happens, God hates me. Or God doesn't care, he's blessing me, he's cursing me, he loves me, he hates me. We need to come to a point where we refuse to be awed by the wind and the waves and believe and know that Jesus is in the boat with you, that he's with you in your trial, he's with you in your suffering, he's with you in your pain. You know, I've asked God to, when I preach or deliver a message to, don't let me cry. And every time I pray that it gets worse, so. If you're awed by anything, be awed by this truth that Jesus is Lord of the storm. The book of Job captures this perfectly. Now Job, it's an old book, but I love it because Job is this upright and righteous dude and Satan asks, and Satan says to God that the only reason why Job fears and loves you, God, is because you have blessed him so much. You take that all away and Job will curse you to your face. And unbelievably, Tragedy after tragedy happens to Job. He loses all his wealth, all his kids die, and his health is gone. And his wife tells him to just curse God and die already. And for 30 plus chapters, Job has these conversations and gets terrible advice from his friends who tell him it's because of his sins that he is suffering the way that he is. And then finally, God speaks. 
God has this drop the mic moment when he reminds Job about who God really is. And I love, love, love how this first one starts in Job 38 as God responds, and I never noticed it before, but this is what it says in Job 38 verse 1 when God finally speaks. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I love that. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And I won't read the whole thing, but I will encourage you to go home and read God's response. But what God says in a nutshell is this. He says, so where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst forth from the womb? And as I closed it, with cl- closed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this is this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? God goes on like this for like three chapters, displaying and explaining the depths to Job of his absolute power and authority. And I love how Job responds to it. He says this, then Job replied to the Lord, and I'll invite the band up as I read this. Job replies to the Lord, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's me, it's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And I love this line right here. Job says, I'd only heard about you before, but now, now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I'll sit in the dust and ashes and show my repentance. This made me laugh out loud. What Job is saying is, I'm just going to sit down and shut up because you're God. I love it. I'd only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I am learning that sometimes it takes a storm to learn and know things about God that I could never learn otherwise. That old maritime saying adage says, smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. It takes a storm to give you your sea legs. It takes a storm to grow your marriage. It takes being broken to know God as comforter. It takes getting sick to know God as healer, and it takes being sad to know God as your joy. And I am learning that after all my lamenting and crying and tears and venting to God, that I need to start speaking out and speaking to my storm, the truth of who I know God to be. Even when I'm soaked with tears, I need to worship wet, quiet, be still. Be still and know that he is God. Lean into the Father's voice because he is always speaking to you, especially in your storm. Let God speak to you in the storm because he loves you so. There's this video that um, has come to my mind and it wouldn't let me go. And I thought this is for someone here tonight who needs to hear it. You might've seen it before, but it's really cool. And it's by a guy called Michael Jr. And it's a short little video and the band's gonna lead us in a song and I'll come back and close this in prayer. 
Cupid. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now, look, we're in the hospital room. She's uh, sticky and she's baby and all that stuff. And she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up. I start talking to her and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby, it's okay. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> so check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything, and she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up, she hears my voice, and stops crying, like again. But I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay, it's good, it's good, it's good. I'm right here, I'm right here. I am right here. I love you, I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what he wants you to know is that he loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. So the question is for us. And I think Mark did it intentionally in his gospel. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? Maybe the better question to ask as the disciples watch Jesus sleep is who is this that even the winds and the waves don't wake him. God is not freaking out and wondering how this is all going to turn out for you. He knows what he's doing. Take his cue and rest in him. He is at peace because he is our peace. And we will be anxious for nothing. He's going to get you to the other side. After all, he is Lord of your storm. Amen. We pray for you. God, I just pray that someone here would know that you are Lord, Lord of all, but especially Lord of our storms. That you're in there, you're in there with us. That it's gonna be okay. Even when it's not okay, it's gonna be okay. Even if you take us home. It's gonna be okay. We love you. And God, I just pray for healing of those that need it, those that are broken. May they know your closeness like never before. 
May those who feel like heaven is locked in silence, may you break those chains of silence and may they hear you in a profound and deep way. May we know things about you like never before that we could never know otherwise, but in the middle of a storm.